everyone, and welcome to the Tiny Reminders podcast, where we learn big lessons from small voices. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Ward Lupinacci. We have a special set of episodes for you that uh, were dropped back to back, this one today and one early next week. These are guests that you'll be hearing from regularly on Tiny Reminders, and they both came on now to address this monumental cultural moment we're in as we gain massive global momentum for the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, the mission of this podcast space is for us all to listen and learn from the lived experiences and insight of youth. And right now, it's particularly important to center the voices of youth who are committed in their fight for justice and who are willing to share the things they know and believe with the rest of us. Both of these guests draw from their lived experience as they navigate the complexities of youth activism and their own identity development, and they do it with so much grace and depth. I promise that you'll take so much away from these conversations. In today's episode, you'll meet Amarie. The interview we're sharing today really speaks for itself and needs little introduction from me, Uh, but I want to note that, as always, the format and content of this dialogue is youth-driven. Amarie wrote the outline, gave me the topics and questions she wanted to address, and guided us through this really important discussion of race and identity and power and activism. There's so much to be learned here as she models for us the importance of empathy and compassion in this work while also committing steadfastly to nothing less than racial justice. If you're a parent and would like to share this conversation with your kids, you'll find so many points of connection here to open up that dialogue in your home. If you're a teacher, you'll want to pay close attention to the discussion we have about education and the potential we see for a shift towards something different in our classrooms and schools. This feels like an especially important time for teachers to be thinking through their practices and commitments to equity. I'll link some of the resources I use in my own teaching in this episode description, but I'll just quickly note here one really important thing you can do as a teacher is to support the Black Lives Matter at School organization. I use their curriculum with uh, all different age groups and in my teaching at EWU, uh, and I commit every year to their week of action. You can find that information and curriculum at www.blacklivesmatteratschool.com. Uh, Another great resources for educators, uh, something I recommend all the time for educators of all types, is the book Teaching for Black Lives. Uh, It's edited by Diane Watson, Jesse Hagopian, and Wayne Au. And uh, it's just a really incredible and beautiful resource that I recommend uh, everyone who's in education purchase and use. Um, And so I'll share all of these in the episode description. I'll also link on our social media uh, primarily Instagram at Mary Ward Lupinacci or at Tiny Reminders Podcast. Okay, so let's get to the good stuff and our interview with Amarie. Okay, all right, so here we are. Um, we have a really, really amazing guest today uh, that I'm so excited to talk with and so excited to share uh, her voice with all of you. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you, and if you would like to just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, I'm Amarie. I'm 16. I'm an African-American young woman. I go to high school in Tacoma. I'm, grad- I'm going on to be a senior. Um, I moved over um, into the Tacoma area from Spokane. That's where I grew up for most of my life. I've been over here for a little over a year. One of the things I know... Um, we wanted to talk about was um, 
specifically talking about the Black Lives Matter movement um, and some thoughts that you have, what you believe. Um, do you want to kind of take mm -hmm. over with that? Yeah, um, I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement not only brings light to how Blacks are treated, but it also tries to stop the violence towards the Black, black lives or the Black community because it's been happening for so long. And I think that um, the Black Lives Matter movement tries to help show to the people who are trying to turn a blind eye. It's kind of trying to show like you can't turn a blind eye forever and that this has been happening for years and that there needs to be change. And I think that when people go around and say like Black Lives Matter, it's not it's not excluding every other group. I don't believe that. But it is trying to say, you know, our lives matter just as much as yours do. And it used to, you know, before people just started saying Black Lives Matter, it was Black Lives Matter too. You know, and then they kind of cut off the two because it kept on happening so much. And I think a good, um, I think it's called analogy. I'm not yeah. really sure, but I think a good analogy is when people say, if there's a whole neighborhood and there's one house on fire, would you, would the firemen spray? All the houses are just that one house. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it because the Black community, it is kind of like it's on fire because they keep on getting, you know, killed and or harassed even or just, you know, just targeted. So I think that when we focus on the Black Lives Matter, when we focus on Black Lives Matter, everything else will just kind of fall into place. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Um, do you think, have you had this experience in, in your lived experience of like somebody saying to you, no, all lives matter? Yeah, I've gotten that a lot because I'm very vocal on everything. I've always been very vocal on it. I've gotten um, you know, cops lives matter too, and all lives matter too, and you know, stuff like that. And I would just want, like, I try to explain to them that yes, their lives do matter just as much as ours do, but our lives are continued to be taken by cops or other um, white people who just don't like black people, or you know, they have that um, fit the description type thing. They try to use that to defend themselves. I just think that. Um, when people try to say all lives matter or blue lives matter too, like their lives do matter, but at the same time, their lives aren't being taken every single day by, you know, other people because of their skin color. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always think of like, yeah, well, but we did, we were, we never questioned whether a cop's life mattered. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and also like, that's a job. That's not, yeah. that's not a life. That's a job. Um, and, and like you're saying, all lives matter. Yeah. There's no question of that. Um, we know that we're not trying to, so to me, those arguments feel like so defensive. Yeah. Yeah. Any ideas on where that's coming from? Like what that defensiveness is? I think people try to, um, have a misconception saying that we're going to exclude everyone else's life and just focus on black people or try to say that no, we're more superior when we're not. We're just trying to, we're just trying to tell you, well, not, you know, we're just trying to tell people that our lives matter just as much and we shouldn't be fearing for our lives just doing basic things. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be fearing for our lives because of our skin color. We can't change it. I think that when people try to defend it, it's just them trying, like, again, turning a blind eye, trying to, or trying to say, like, it's not really an issue. And a lot of people try to say that, um, certain things like racism aren't an issue because I've never experienced it before. And that goes, you know, for not only for white people, but for other black people or other colored people that try to say it's not an issue because I've never experienced it before. I think that's where the defensiveness comes in. They just never experienced it. So they don't really fully understand that it's still an issue. Yeah. 
that lack of of experience and and I would say lack of experience in this case also ties directly to comfort. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So if you've never had to experience being discriminated against because of your skin color and not just discriminated against, but you know, when we're talking specifically about like police violence, right? Discriminated mm-hmm. against in ways that are really violent and yeah. dangerous. Um there is comfort in not having to have experienced those things and in denying those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I agree that there's, there's so much of this is this like denial that, that ties back to comfort. And you, you kind of touched on in the beginning of that, uh, some ideas of power. Mm. So, um, so I sort of think of this idea that like people do worry that if, if we acknowledge that black lives matter just as much as, as any other lives, right? Is mm-hmm. there a sense, even if people don't realize that they're doing it, is there a sense of uh, that maybe taking your power or your privilege away if, if you're not black? Any thoughts about that? Well, I think that, I think sometimes people, like I said earlier, I think people just try to think that excludes everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like if someone says all lives matter or blue lives matter, that's kind of, um, that's going against, that's going against my protest, you know, or the other people's protest, it's going against that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of saying, it's kind of, I don't, I don't know how to word this correctly, but um, in my opinion, I think that if someone says no, all lives matter or no blue lives matter, it's kind of like you're saying, well, my life doesn't matter. And that if I just, you know, were to walk outside and get, um, have an encounter with the police or something that, you know, their life matters more than mine. So if I end up dying from that situation, you know, it was, my life didn't really matter. So it's okay, but theirs did. And everyone's life, you know, everyone's life, it matters. And I'm not, I don't think the Black Lives Matter movement is just um, saying everyone else's life doesn't matter because it does. But when people kind of go against it, it's kind of saying like, oh, but you don't, you don't really care about my life. Yeah. Right. I, w- I would imagine that's how it feels. Right. So if, you know, you're out here living your life as a black American and you've got people when you say my life matters, you've got people saying, yeah, but these, yeah. these lives matter. There's there's no other way to take that than to say, like, yeah, yeah. I, OK, but right. There's yeah. there's this like qualifier that does imply that maybe it does, you know, maybe it matters a little, a little less. And I think mm-hmm. that's the part that uh, I hope, this is the hopeful part of me is that like people that engage in the, the like all lives matter thing. Um, I think they know what they're doing. Uh, I think they, they know that it does take away power from the movement, from black people, from the black community. Um, and I do think that it's not usually an accident, to be honest. Um, my hope is, though, I keep seeing this cartoon sort of passed around on social media that's um, that kind of goes through that like argument about Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And then at the end, it says, like, well, well, wait, if I change my mind now, does that mean I'm a hypocrite? And it ends with some with the other person saying, like, no, it just means that you've grown. Right. You've learned yeah. and you've grown. And that's that's the hopeful part of me thinking, like. Maybe this is the moment that that some of those people can transform and mm-hmm. take this in, right? Yeah. Can you um 
uh, we'll go on to like your next points pretty soon. But I just want to I want to ask one more thing. Um, if I'm asking too many questions, please just be like, Mary, that's enough. Um, you can give me like a cue. Be like, cut it. Um, uh, so, oh, see, and then I forget what I'm going to say. No, wait, I'm back. Okay. Um, so then, okay, so then I'm thinking, um, oh, in your, like, in your experience, um, have you had any moments like that where someone that you thought maybe uh, didn't value you as as much as they should um, has, like, come around or or been open with you about, like, changing their minds or changing their perspective? Um. Kind of, and it wasn't really someone that I knew. Um, excuse me. Um, since I said earlier, I think that on social media, I've been very kind of vocal about everything. And I posted on one of my social media, um, I posted that my skin color is not a threat um, and stuff like that. And this person, I don't really know who he is, but I know that he lives in Spokane. A lot of people on my social media are from Spokane. Um, he told me that <clears throat> I'm right about the last part, saying my skin color is not a threat but then try to talk about how, um, how all the protesters are rioting and looting the stores and all that stuff, which isn't true. They're two different groups. I tried to tell him that. And then that's when he started insulting me and calling me like slurs and stuff, trying to hurt my feelings. It didn't hurt my feelings. I'm kind of, you know, I just knew he was trying to hurt me, but then I, I blocked that out. I blocked him. I don't really need that negativity. But later he I was on another one of my social medias. He um, posted that, the looters and the protesters are two different groups and stuff like that. And I knew that he knew what he did to me was wrong. I knew that he felt that. That's why he posted it. I didn't say anything, but I did feel that he kind of understood that, oh, I was wrong and I probably shouldn't have went off on this girl like that. Yeah. And it wasn't really, I didn't really ask him or say anything. I just kind of left it alone. But I think that he did come around. Yeah. So. Whoa. Okay. That's really interesting. That's like, yeah, like it. A, a, you changed his mind a little, right? He did budge a little, but not to you. Yeah, because that would have been again like coming back to that idea of power, right? Like that would have taken away some of what he perceives as his power if he mm-hmm. like, acknowledged to you that maybe you were right. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. And then you were able to see it, which is like, um, and then of course, okay. So let's just address this too. Then of course he took your thoughts and your words and use them as his own. Yeah. Uh, shocking. Okay. Um, funny. Okay. That's a really good example. Um, I got to ask you this since you're telling this kind of story, where did you learn to be like this? Because your response to that is like very much uh, a mature and like calm response, much more than many of, you know, the full like grown ups that mm-hmm. I know. How did you learn to do that? Well, my mom has always been a person to teach me to, you know, put yourself in that person's shoes. I've done that ever since I could remember. Mm-hmm. I've always been like, well, how do they feel or how would they feel, you know? And I've done that with a lot of situations I've been in, try to put myself in their shoes. And I also, um, she also teach me that a lot of people say things to tear you down and to make you feel bad about yourself. And um, the only the thing that you can do is just walk away from the situation. And even my principal at my school now, um, he's he's Black. And he even told me, you know, sometimes when you're having conversation with someone and they're not really, they're like shutting you down or trying to hurt you to just disengage. And I just kind of been using that more just, you know, if I feel like the conversation's not getting anywhere or they're only doing things to hurt my feelings or insult me, 
I mean, I'll say what I need to say, you know, I'll say, okay, well, I see your, um, I see how you feel or I understand, but this is how it is, or this is how I feel. And things still aren't getting anywhere. I'll just block it out. I'll either block them or I'll stop responding. I learned that a lot from my mom and also from my principal at my school. Now just learn to disengage after things, after I realize things aren't getting anywhere. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's really, that's a lesson here that we all need to take a minute with. Um, especially right now as we're, you know, you're, we're navigating a lot of this on social media. Yeah. And I think people don't have the tools um, to have those kinds of dialogues on social media and then know when to get out and when to disengage, like you're saying. So I think you're, you being able to do that already uh, is going to obviously like serve you very well. Um, and you keep talking about empathy, which you know, you've said it so many times already, which is this, you know, like you're, you're taking on other perspectives and you're trying your best to understand where people are coming from. And it sounds like you really lead with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me that, you know, that's such a big part of, of everything that I teach and, and do as well. So to hear you say that and to know that it's like really effective for you, um, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a really good thing to be talking to kids and grownups about. Yeah. So, and you also talked about it, like you've always been that way. So you feel like that's sort of just part of who you are. Yeah. Like even if I get in an argument with somebody, I'll try to say, well, you know, how do they feel or, you know, where are they coming from? Or, you know, if their past experiences have affected how they look at things now, I'll try to do that a lot more than just at first, just getting really upset and angry. I'll try to see where they're coming from at first, because a lot of the times too, when people have a different background. It makes sense why they feel that way. That's what I try to think of before I try to, you know, I don't know how to really describe it before I get um, more offended. I'll be like, you know, let me think of how they feel or where they're coming from or how their experiences um, change their perspective of things. Nice. Oh, that's so good. Do you think, uh, do you think people can learn empathy? Yeah, I think, I think um, anyone can try to put their um them in another person's shoes i think everyone can learn that um i think that helps a lot i think that would also help a lot with a lot of like conversations people are having now about the black lives matter movement i think that if people who are against it if they were to put their themselves in um our shoes they would see things a completely different way and i've even tried to put myself in another person's shoes where they um where they were against me i've tried to put myself in their shoes and um I understood. I was like, okay, I understand like, you know, why you feel that way. And then when I tried to, when I would try to tell them, I understood how they felt. And then I'll try to give my opinions. That's when it started shutting me down. And that's when I knew the conversation wasn't getting anywhere. And then I disengaged and just kind of left. I just wanted to be done with it. I was a little bit upset that they felt that way and that they kept shutting me down. But after a while, I kind of got over it and I was like, okay, well, their experiences are different than mine. So they're going to just feel differently altogether. I think that um, if that person, if I think if they did the same thing with me, they put themselves in my shoes, that we wouldn't have had the, not necessarily argument, but the way that things were handled. Cause I just, I did end up leaving. And I think that maybe if they were to put themselves in my shoes, it wouldn't have been, um, they were just talking at me and shutting me down. I think it would have been more of an actual conversation. Yeah. And that's all like anchored in empathy, the way that you're describing that. Um that's really like, I want everybody to, to really pause and, and take that all in, maybe even rewind it. 
because um, that's like a beautiful model for how to engage in these kinds of discussions. Um, and then one more part of that I wanted to ask about. So, so in those times, so you're, you're vocal, right? And you've made the choice to use your voice and like, you know what you believe and you're willing to like stand up visibly for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you're bound to have those moments of um, someone challenging you or even attacking you, right? Uh, yeah. and, and you know that's part of the gig. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're still willing to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, mm -hmm. Why is that? Why do you want to, why do you want to keep doing that? I just feel like, as, especially because I'm younger too, I think that my voice should be able to be heard. And I know there's always going to be people in life who are going to shut you down and are going to make you try to make you feel less than yourself and just try to hurt your feelings and stuff. But I think that if you rise above it, they will end up getting respect for you and they'll understand that it doesn't matter what you say, that they'll still, you know, that won't affect who they are. Um, and I just think that, you know, even, um, those four teens, those four black teens, when they went to a white school, how people were continuing to spit on them and call them slurs and tell them to leave and to go back to Africa and all that stuff. But they still went to school and they wanted to get their education. And I think that, that inspires me a lot too, because they didn't let that, like, yeah, it hurt their feelings, but they didn't let that stop them. Um, like the Ernest Green story, like the movie, um, I think um, kind of reading about that and understanding it more, I think that also kind of helps me realize, you know, there were other people that were not necessarily, I'm not necessarily the same situation, but um, you know, they didn't let all that, all that stuff, they didn't let that stop them from what they wanted to do. And I'm just trying to, you know, get to that mindset where it's like, there are going to be people who are going to try to bring you down and hurt your feelings, but you shouldn't let that stop you from what you want to do and what you're passionate about. It's also another brilliant piece of advice. This is why you're here. Okay. Um, yeah. I, and, you know, the thing you're, you're also describing is uh, this really strong sense of identity. So mm -hmm. I think that, and this is something I teach a lot too to kids and uh, in my, my university classes is like, if you don't really know who you are as like your anchor, right? Like you really need to know your position uh, where you're coming from, what you believe, if you don't know those things, then this is going to be really hard to do because, uh, yeah, right. Because you, you, you're not grounded in anything if you don't, right. So you need to know your purpose. You need to know who you are, um, and move from that place always. And that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. As, and it's just sort of like in your process, right. Which is why you're such a model for all of us. Um, so yeah. So let's, we'll, we'll go back and talk about that a little bit more too, I think, because I want to talk about, you know, more about your identity and, and some of the things you do. Um, but let's move on to um, this next part um, of what you wanted to talk about in terms of topics. So um, we want to talk about why people are protesting right now. So just for context, let's, um, you know, just for whenever people are listening to this, it is June right? It's June. It's June, June 7th. Right okay. Now. Right. Okay. So it's June of 2020. Uh, we are in the middle of a, uh, global health crisis, uh, COVID-19 pandemic and, um, really in the middle of this sort of 
uprising and surge of protests um, around Black Lives Matter and police violence, and it's gone also really global. It's around the world, right? So let's talk about that. So why why do you why is this? What's going on? Well, I think I you know I think pretty sure everyone can understand that it's not only for George Floyd. Mm-hmm. It's for you know how it's for everybody who's never gotten justice from. Um, getting killed by not only police, but other white people. Mm-hmm. And I think that it should be, the people should understand that <clears throat> that since it's been going on for so long and there's so many people that haven't gotten justice, that people are tired of it and they're starting to see it more. I think that's why it's also gone global because everyone is seeing that Blacks have been, have continued to be mistreated, especially by, um, especially by the justice system. Mm-hmm. and. I think that the protesting um, people are just tired of it and they want our voices to be heard. And it's kind of hard. Um, it's kind of hard to be at the, kind of like the bottom and you're trying to fight someone at the top and trying to protest your right to live and, you know, trying to get other people to understand that we just, we have the right to live just as much as other people do. Mm-hmm. And I think that people need to understand that, um, that's not only for George Floyd. And I'm really hoping that this is kind of like a fear I have. I'm really hoping that even after we get the justice for George Floyd that we want and the family can put him to rest and mm-hmm. all that, I'm really hoping people don't lose the fire that they have and that they'll stop protesting and that they'll um, kind of die down about it. Like, I'm scared people will do that. I'm scared that after, you know, even if the cops go to jail for the rest of their life or whatever happens, which that probably won't happen. But, you know, after after we get what we want, I'm really hoping that I'm not, that people don't stop. I hope that they keep protesting. I hope that they keep on saying people's names who's never gotten justice, like, you know, the Breonna Taylor case or even Kendrick Johnson or Sandra Bland. You know, there's so many people who haven't gotten justice or people try to cover it up. You know, people in power try to cover it up. And I just really hope that they don't lose the fire and that they keep protesting and all that stuff because there are so many Black people who've never gotten justice. And I just, um, I hope that they don't stop. And I want people to understand it's not only for George Floyd, but he did spark the protest. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. You know, that's, it sparked the protest. And so I think that I hope that people don't stop protesting, but I also want people to understand it's not only for George Floyd. And that there are people who think that's only for George Floyd and that everyone's kind of mad at this one murder or the couple of murders that have happened that people have seen. Yeah. and. I think that I saw this again on social media, but this girl kind of explained it really like she explained it in a lot of detail. And she said, she said, let's say you wake up one morning and you stub your toe and then you go to school and your friend steps on that toe. And, you know, it still it hurts, you know, because you already stubbed it that morning. And then she said, let's say you go to like PE class and someone throws a ball right at your toe. And now it's kind of like an excruciating pain. And then you go home and your mom has groceries and she drops like a can or something on your toe. And then you kind of like, freak out and you're kind of saying like it hurts it hurts and she's kind of like you know why are you freaking out over this one thing hitting your toe and then you're like no all day it's been you know getting messed with and now it's just kind of like no it's for all these years people have continued to die by the hands of people who are supposed to protect us or other people who just don't like black people and I think that's like a great way to explain why people are protesting it's just because it's just been happening and happening and happening and no one ever really um looked at the situation or tried to stop the situation and now now it's so 
now it's just kind of like we're tired of turning a blind eye. So now that's why people are protesting. Yes. Yeah. I love that explanation. That's really like, that's a, a really also what I like about that. Um, the toe thing is that like, you can, you can feel that, right? Like I like yeah. anything where like you can, it's like embodied, like you can really feel it. So like mm -hmm. all of us know that like feeling, right? Like on some scale of like, it hurts and the way you're describing that, right? Like it hurts and it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Right. And, and I think the thing, it, it goes back to that empathy piece that like, if we can come from that place of like, people are hurting, right? Like yeah. when you see that anger, when you see this many people come out to protest and in really powerful ways, it's, it's driven by hurt yeah. and, and, and that's powerful, I think. Um, so I love that the, the way you've described that, um, I agree. I, I just, I want us to be able to sustain the protests. I want us to just keep moving forward. And, you know, I think what we've seen a lot, we can um, talk about this a little bit. I think what, what we've seen in other moments is like, they'll, it feels like a moment, right? Like it's Trayvon Martin and it's yeah. the moment of that. And then it becomes not as mobilized. And, and then, you know, it's, it's, uh, Michael Brown. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a big moment. Like that was another like really big moment. And it was only six years ago. And, and then we see, you know, these moments of it. And then like you're describing, like it sort of tapers off or dies down. And, and there are those of us that, you know, really live this and continue to do the work, but it, it's not a, it doesn't feel like it's got the momentum that it needs. Yeah. And this feels different. Mm -hmm. I think it does. Do you think it does? Yeah, I think that it's just kind of, I think that another thing too is that people were recording it too, mm -hmm. recording the whole thing. And I think, you know, you share it on social media, you see it get posted everywhere. And it's just kind of like, wow, like this is really going on. This is really happening. And I just think that people are starting to realize that it's not just getting shot at or it's not just um, happening here and there. And I think that, um, Mr. Floyd, even though he did have to pass away for this to, you know, for him to spark everything, I think that it is way different and that, you know, people all over the world are protesting and saying, you know, that the justice system is really messed up and that, you know, um, that there just needs to be a change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, like there are people will like, you know, talk about the Eric Gardner case or John Crawford III, Michael Brown case, Emmett Till, um, um, or even Ahmaud Arbery. I um, hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yep, that's right. Um, but, you know, everyone's kind of just talking about it. And then now George, that what happened with George Floyd is kind of like, okay, well now, you know, this is like the last straw. Like everyone's always turned a blind eye. Everyone's always just kind of been like, oh, it's just, you know, it's nothing new. And we shouldn't be living like that. We shouldn't be like, oh, another black person was killed, nothing new. They shouldn't be like that. So I just think that this is like way different and that um, people are tired of their voices not being heard. And people are tired of seeing people in the black community die. Like there's even, <laughs> excuse me, a man over here in the Tacoma area, his name was Manuel Ellis and he passed away from police. I mean, he did assault a police officer, but that doesn't mean, that's what they were saying that he assaulted a police officer, but it doesn't mean he needed to die for that. You know, I think that that hits a lot, that hits way closer to home since it's, you know, right over here. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, 
you know, that's another thing that's going to spark it. It's like, okay, we're protesting our right to live and you guys are still not listening to us. And I just think that people are just tired of it. And I think that's why it's way different is because people are just tired of it. And now they're like, okay, now we're ready for our voices to be heard. And you guys are going to listen whether you like it or not. So Yeah. It's a tipping point, right? There's yeah. that's how, that's how things happen. And, and for whatever, whatever the factors are, I think, you know, it, you probably have thoughts on this too, that like, we're, it, it's not a coincidence that like, we're in this like COVID-19, um, yeah. like, like really intense, uh, global, like chaos. And, and this is coming out in this time as well. Um, so I, you know, we don't know why, but I think that there are a lot of factors that are related to the two things. And I think yeah, to me, like you can't take one away from the other because we also have seen that in the U S and even globally, um, black communities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Yeah. And, and that's part of this system. Right. And I, and I can't help but think that some of the, the outrage is related to that. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think since everyone's trapped in their house and, you know, no one can get out, it's more, people have more time to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure if we were still in schools and stuff and people heard about George Floyd, it would kind of be like, oh, did you hear about George Floyd? Yeah, that was crazy. And then you're just kind of, all right, let's go to class. But now it's kind of like you're at home and then you're like, oh, did you hear about George Floyd? Oh, well, did you hear about what happened to Breonna Taylor? Or what about Kendrick Johnson? What even all the way back to Emmett Till? You know, I just feel like now people have more time to see that, like, just to see how crazy it is. I think that plays a huge factor. And also the fact that, you know, we can't leave. We can't, you know, we can't, we can barely go to the store without making sure we have a mask or gloves and hand sanitizer. And I just think that both of them kind of are like neck and neck. And there's even um on the news, there's like a title of what they're talking about. And it said like what's killing them, um, what's kill the two deadliest diseases in America, and it's COVID nineteen and racism. Yeah. I think that was like really like eye opening. And then you kind of people have more time to like see what's going on and re- like research or you know say see all these black people who have continued to be killed by police or white people. I just think that because we're trapped at home all day that we have a lot more free time on our hands and we can see what, how how crazy it is. And, you know, we can't leave. We're trapped here. So it's kind of like you have to stay here. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. I actually hadn't thought of it in that way. When you, when you think about, okay, so like you're trapped here and you have to sit here with it, like that discomfort. Right. And that's a part of the work that I do around mindfulness and like embodiment is like sometimes the really transformational moments happen when you have to sit in discomfort and and you can't distract yourself and you can't run away from it and you just have to be with it and then and then move from there and that's a, that's what you're describing here is that like we're in this global moment of sitting in this discomfort and not being able to like show up at school and have you know 10 after school activities and, you know, social events and all of these things that, that take priority, right? We're sitting in this and then we're, we're acting on it. And that seems really important. Yeah. And something like we can take away from this is like, if we want change and transformation to happen, we have to learn how to be present and in discomfort in order to know what to do next. Ooh, I think we're on to something. Um, yeah. Wow. That's so intense. And then thinking also like, um, 
I just, the way that you described school, right? So that really struck something in me. So thinking about like, if this were happening, so any other time that this has happened, let's say like, I mean, we could choose so many different instances, right? Um, mm -hmm. Let's say, how old were you for Trayvon Martin? Do you remember? I don't really remember. I'm, I've, I don't really remember. <laughs> yeah, because Trayvon Martin um, is really when, like, like after his murder, uh, is really when the Black Lives Matter hashtag started, um, yeah. and when the founders of Black Lives Matter really started to to try to like you know organize around this movement. Um, mm -hmm. And it was in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it feels like so long ago, and that's really not that long ago. Yeah, I was like around, I think seven, like seven to nine. I was okay. like that old. Seven do you to nine. Re do you remember it? Not really. No. I don't remember it, but I do know after I was um, older and able to understand really like process it, I do remember doing like a lot of research on it to find out what happened. And I know my mom, she always was telling me, you know, like you need to be careful being black in America. You need to be careful uh, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do. I do remember hearing Trayvon Martin a lot of the time and how some of my friends who I grew up with, they would come to school wearing hoodies yeah. as a protest if that makes sense yeah wearing hoodies because you know he was wearing a hoodie when he yeah. got shot yep i do kind of remember that here and there and i also remember i specifically remember um i think i think i want to say fifth grade i think fourth or fifth grade um all of my black friends told me i need to wear a hoodie tomorrow and i did and at my school hoods weren't allowed but every one of my black friends would put the hood on a gray hoodie put a hood on and um we just kind of walked around like that. The teachers would tell us to take it off, but we would always try to sneak them back on. Nice. I specifically remember that and how I had this gray jacket I put my hood on. Yeah. I specifically remember that. And that was a couple of years, I think, after it happened, but still, like, I do specifically remember that. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, there's there's bound to be, it was such a, a huge cultural moment and really, like like we're saying, like Black Lives Matter as a movement was was born out of that. Um, and And then to think that, like, you know, you were young and then a few years later, it still had some momentum and, and it was still being used as a form of protest. Um, that's really interesting. So if we think about like those kinds of times, right. Then, um, and, and then we think about how you sort of framed it as like, that would happen, but like we'd be at school and, and we'd say like, oh, this thing happened. Okay. Time to move on. Yeah. And right now we're at home this, these horrible things happen. And rather than moving on, we're sitting in it and, and being with it. What if that's a lesson too, that we take into schools, right? Like we keep, we keep talking about like the new normal, like what's it going to be like when we go back after all of this. Right. Um, and like people speculating about that. So what if part of the new normal is that when this kind of injustice happens, we stop and, we talk about it and we keep talking about it. And that becomes the lesson of like the class, the day, like we shut it down and we say like, this is what we're talking about now. Yeah. Can you imagine? I think that would be, I feel like that would have a lot, change a lot of people's perspective because, you know, a lot of times too, I don't really watch the news. Like I have, don't really watch the news at all. I'm more watching Netflix or something yeah. like that. But because I've just been at home all the time, and because you're, you know, with my mom all the time and my little sisters, um, she keeps the news on like 24 seven. And I didn't realize how crazy it's gotten. And, you know, it's kind of like, there's always been an open wound 
And, you know, you just kind of always ignored it or like, you know, like I said earlier, you stub your toe. Yeah. So I'm like, I stub my toe, but, you know, I'm distracted with school or I'm distracted yeah. with this new song or homework, stuff like that. And now I was just kind of like, well, I've done everything and I'm just sitting here and I'm, I'm dressing the wound now. Like I'm acknowledging yeah. it. I'm yeah. seeing that this huge open wound and, you know, I'm seeing how everyone's just kind of, how all this stuff has just been piled on for so many years, but you know, you've always been distracted with your job or, you know, um, some people like, you know, my mom specifically, you know, she doesn't really watch the news is when she was working. It was just kind of like, she'd go to work, she'd come home, cook dinner, and then she'd be tired and go to sleep or she'd have to clean and, you know, stuff like that. So she never really got a chance to like sit down and watch the news, see what's going on. And now she is, and she's just like kind of realizing like, you know, this is getting like way, way more intense than it's ever been. And I just think that if we all took a moment to really recognize what's going on in schools, I think so many people would understand that, you know, this isn't right Mm -hmm. and that it's been happening for so long and that's why people are protesting. But in schools, you know, you you don't really talk about that. You talk about more like, you know, I know that for my um, three class that I had to take this year, um, you know, we weren't really talking about things that were going on right there. Like if something big happened, we didn't really talk about it. We were just more focused on the curriculum and what we were doing to have these big projects to do and all that stuff. (laughs) Excuse me. You know, and in math class, you know, it's about math and chemistry. It's chemistry and English, you know, we're talking about grammar and stuff like that. You don't really talk about the problems going on. You just do the curriculum. But I think that's something big, like, so like, you know, another social injustice thing happened if we just kind of all paused and talked about it and said your feelings and, you know, how you see it, I think that people would get a better perspective of what's going on. I think there wouldn't be those people who try to have the opposite protests, like all lives matter. I think more people would be more understanding if we took a break and really focused on that. But because we don't, I think that's another huge thing or a huge factor of why people want to go around and say all lives matter, blue lives matter. is because they don't really get a chance to see it from someone else's perspective. Right. And if we normalized that, like if that became the change that we make, that we we go back to our schools and we prioritize these things that are happening in real time, like, you know, social injustice, uh, even like, like climate, all of those things that like we know are like the the big issues right now. If we went back into our schools and prioritized those and created space for them as they were like emerging, right? And then it would be normal. Then we could say like yeah. all those kids who like haven't talked about it or they have a defense about it or they want to argue it, they they're actually in conversation about it as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, like that changes the perspective. That allows a moment for perspective. Yeah. And like I just think in everything we do, we we don't we don't take enough time with things. We move so quickly from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing that we don't have time to process. And yeah. what if what if that became the priority? That would change everything. It would. I think also I think it would benefit a lot more students and benefit just benefit our generation too. I think that if people got were more open minded and they saw people, you know, put themselves in the people's shoes because we're talking about it more. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, would there be more unity? I think that would, I think that would happen because you know people are able to see 
you know, I like, you know, if I was a white girl that didn't really experience that and then seeing how it is for a black person and seeing all that, you know, I, I think that really changed my perspective. Um, and I think all, all the same goes for if it was reversed, you know, I'm a black girl. If I'm seeing from another person's point of view, from like a white person's point of view, and they're like, you've never really experienced that. My, or saying my dad's a cop or saying things like that. You know, I think that if we talked about both sides in schools, you know, where you, you know, you can't really just walk away because you're uncomfortable. Like you just kind of have to sit there and listen. I think that there'd be way more. I think that more people could experience empathy and they could say like, wow, I didn't really realize that. I mean, that already happened in my class when we talked about slavery and how my teacher, we had to do this thing where um, my history teacher made us go to these different stations and we we had to read about how slaves were treated or, um, you know, sometimes slaves had whipped other slaves and, or how they were starved sometimes or stuff like that. And I remember some of the um, kids in my class were just kind of like, I never, never saw it that way. I didn't realize it was like that. And I, you know, my mom's taught me since I could talk, you know, she's always taught me everything. Cause she said she doesn't know if schools are going to teach me what I'm supposed to be taught. Right. right. She so took she, it on herself. Yeah. Yeah. She was just, you know, she just was like, okay, I'm just going to tell you how it really is. Mm-hmm. And I always knew, you know, how slaves were treated. I had a good idea because what she told me and some people were like, I never knew that. I never saw it that way. And it was kind of like, didn't it? Like I'm, I've always known that, but they were just like, I never saw it that way or I'd never like clicked in their brain that, mm-hmm. you know, that's how they were treated. And I think that, you know, that was just slaves too. And I think that doing that, people were able to be like, you know, put themselves in their shoes and be like, oh my gosh, if that was happening to me or if that was my family, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I think that that was a big, I think that was a good moment in that class for people to, you know, be like, I didn't realize that, or that's crazy. Yeah. I think that was a really good moment yeah. to do it. Because what you're talking about when, when, when they're not doing that. So like the empathy piece keeps coming up, right? Like it's a real theme for what we're talking about, but it's so important because in learning spaces, if you're not taking the time to like actually describe the experience and to share perspectives and to get that really like full picture of things, what you're hearing are just the words, right? So my guess is that a lot of the people, a lot of the the kids that you are around heard the word slavery over and over and over and over, but it just becomes like another word, like Where's yeah. the meaning behind it? Unless you're, you have the kind of like learning community where you can really process it and you can yeah. really, but in order to do that. So here's the thing, in order to do that, you have to be able to feel emotions in your learning space. And what you're talking about, that empathy piece is all about feeling emotions, right? You have to be able to feel it in order to really feel empathy. You have to know your emotions and understand other people's emotions and we don't create that space in classrooms. Yeah. Right. Like we create a space where you go through the curriculum and you take a test and you get your evaluations and your scores. And then, you know, you either do well or you don't and you keep it moving. Um, yeah. But like what we're talking about right now is like feeling real feelings in the classroom and creating that space. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's it's just so important. Yeah. And I mean, there are some teachers that do that. Like my English teacher, oh. he does that too. When we had to do, we had to do this um, project where we had to do, we had to pick a, um, a social issue. I picked Black Lives Matter movement and we just had to give, give more detail and talk about what was really going on. 
And uh, I explained what the Black Lives Matter movement was. I talked about it more. And after it, he pulled me to the side and he told me that he thinks that, you know, just my personality, how I talk about things really kind of helped people see that. And just the fact that I kind of, I didn't make it like I'm just trying to teach and teach and teach. I was trying to um, relate to them more, right. you know? And he told me, I mean, he, I got a good grade on it. That's why he told me like I got a good grade <laughs> because of that. But that wasn't, I'm, honestly, if I got a bad grade on it, even though I, I wouldn't have gotten one, yeah. even, even if I did, I would have felt better that I was able to try to bring to light really what it was about. And he, he kind of gives us these um, projects and stuff like that that will help bring light to something that's happening in the world, but not necessarily, he's like, he's more the teacher that's like, he's not going to teach you exactly this. He's more like, here's what we're going to be doing, but it's your, like he's getting putting it in your hands. Like, okay, now you have to go research and you have to go get all, you know, take all this in. But he's, he's not the teacher where it's like, I'm going to just teach you and this is what you're going to do. And this is exactly how it has to be. It's yeah. more like, this is what it's about. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of, it's in your hands. And I like that a lot too. And then, you know, you can go back, you can be like, oh, I found this out. I found that out. And he's just kind of, you know, he's like, that's great. That's great. Make sure you put that in your paper. Make sure you put that in your project. And he does that a lot with the students. And I think that's how more like most teachers should be, you know, is kind of giving it, like letting you do it how you want to. And, you know, I think that it's the whole, he's like putting himself in our shoes. It's kind of like, if I was a student, I wouldn't want my teacher to be like this or something like that. And I think that a lot of teachers don't do that. They just kind of, they go and they're just kind of like, okay, this is what we're going to be doing. You have to do it exactly like this. He kind of puts himself in our shoes and is like, trust me, I hate writing or I hate doing this. I hate doing that, but let's make it more exciting. Let's, you know, I'm going to put it in your hands and yeah. that's just how you have to do it. And I think that if more classrooms are like that. I think that the atmosphere would be way more positive. Mm-hmm. And I think that if more teachers were like that and they kind of talked about the issues, because he does talk about the issues. He talks about them with me too. Um, I think that if more teachers were like that, I think there'll be a, a way more positive atmosphere in schools. But because a lot of teachers aren't like that, it's kind of a whole people dread dread going to school and right. stuff like that, or even speaking up. So I think that if more teachers were like that, then there'd be a way more positive atmosphere. More people would get perspective on how things are going and things like that. Right. I, I agree 100 um, percent. And again, it's that like emotional connection you're talking about. It's student voice centered and like what we do here on the podcast and it's um it's also like connecting and building that community in ways that um that mean something to kids right and then you can have those kinds of conversations you can you're you're not feeling like this is an unsafe place to talk through an issue uh like police violence or like racism that um is really important but also can can go really badly in schools if you don't have that kind of environment already set up uh should we do it like a shout out to your english teacher i feel like yeah yeah his name is mr leon mr leon we both know mr leon um yeah and he definitely deserves a shout out he's kind of the best yeah Yeah. he's one of my favorite teachers at school he's one of my favorite people i've ever known so i know (laughs) right he's he's just so cool okay all right. He's going to love that. He's going to be really embarrassed. I'm, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, I love where that just went. Um, the other thing I want to say, I might edit this out, but I think that um, if you're into it, so I do a lot of writing about 
teaching in those spaces and um, how to create that kind of environment. And I do a lot of presenting. I do a lot of workshops on it. Um, I know you have other things you're doing. You're kind of like, you know, you got a lot going on. But Mm -hmm. if you ever wanted to collaborate on that, um, just think about it. We could work together on some of that. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, I would love to. Okay. All right. So many things happening. Okay, cool. All right. So let's move on. I want to make sure we get to all the um, the things on your list. Are you good still? We're at like an hour. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right. I'm so the next, what's that? I'm probably rambling a little bit. No, you're, you're really not actually like you're, yeah, I know that feeling. I get like that too, but you're really like, you're, you're very thoughtful and clear in what you're saying. Okay. It's so good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So the next thing we wanted to talk about were some of um, the misconceptions surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement. I think we did that already a little bit, but but uh, go ahead. We should talk about it. Well, I, th- I said that earlier about how people think that it excludes other races when it's just trying to bring to light um, that, like, you know, how Black Lives Matter just as much. But I think it also... Um, also how I talked about how people think it's only for a couple of them. And there are so many black lives that have been lost or, um, due like due to police brutality or just, uh, racism, excuse me. And you know, I couldn't name all of them, but it's just so many that I'd probably use up all the time. Right. And there's even some that aren't documented or there's some that aren't recorded and stuff like that. And, um, there's even this, I don't remember her name, but there's this a, a little 11 year old girl who was a victim of police brutality and it was caught all on camera, how this police, um, was really violent towards her and slamming her on the ground. It was all on video. And it was so heartbreaking to see who was like twisting her arm and everything. And I feel like she needs justice for that too. You know, like she needs to be able to, you know, not feel scared, something like that. And in his police report, he was trying to say that she was bigger than him and resisting and all that stuff. But on the video, it was not showing that. And, you know, it was just kind of like, and there are people where there aren't, or there are situations where there aren't, it's not recorded. And a lot of times, um, I like to think of it like, you know, if I was in that encounter, like, who would you believe? Would you believe the black teenager? Would you believe this white cop who's in power, you know? Yep. And I think a big misconception is people try to say, um, that oh they're just doing their jobs and things like that but in actuality they're not all the time and also there's it's not all cops are you know bad I I mean we have family friends who are cops like you know my um when my grandmother she's a cop and things like that she's a she's a black lady but she's a cop I have family friends who are cops and um I'm not trying to say it's every single cop I think that's also a huge misconception people try to say it's all cops when it's not but there are a big chunk of cops who use their power to intimidate or the black community and like they try to intimidate them. And I just think that, um, I just think if people were to really understand what people are trying to say and trying to say it's the bad cops that are tarnishing all the cops names, I think people really understand that, you know, they, they would see like how it's, there are good cops, but there are a lot of bad cops or cops that, are just you know using their power to hurt the black community that's a huge misconception people are trying to say it's all cops because i don't believe that yeah. but i do believe that I'm my mouth. <laughs> i do believe that the bad cops are tarnishing all the cops names it's going to be hard for the cops to try to rebuild that relationship um in their communities because it's kind of like trust is broken mm-hmm. and things like that 
And I just think that that's a huge misconception. And there are people who are going to disagree and say, no, it is all cops. It is all cops. I don't care if it's your grandma, your uncle or whatever. I think people just need to understand that it's just the bad cops that are tarnishing all the other cops' names. They're just tarnishing them. And there are officers are even saying, you know, a lot of cops are committing murder and they are using their badge to like stand behind the badge. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're cops who are, you know, saying like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. And there are even cops who are kneeling at the protests if they get so much backlash from their other officers. Yeah. So I think there, there are the good cops. Um, they're just um, a little bit more rare to see because also they don't want to get in trouble at work. They don't want to get fired. They don't like none of that stuff. Yeah. So I think people need to understand it's, it isn't all cops, but there are a good handful of cops that are doing that, which is just kind of tarnishing their names. So. Yeah. yeah. And they're working in a system that, um, that's like what you're describing. Like if, if you're, if you're a cop and you're working in this system that, um, does promote and, or, or doesn't, I should say that, right. That not only promotes, but also doesn't, um, stand up in times where like things have, uh, been unjust and when like there has been a, a murder of another black person at the hand of, of a cop, right? When you, when you're in a system where no one feels like they can come forward and say this was wrong, then that's what you're perpetuating. Right. So I think exactly what you're describing. I think people want to see if, if we're going to continue with a system where policing is like what we rely on, um, yeah. for law and safety, if we're going to continue that system, then there, it, it needs to, to look completely different in terms of like when people come forward and say this was wrong and we won't stand for it. Um, yeah. I shouldn't be scared to stand right. up for what's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that would require a lot of change within the policing system. Um, but I don't, I mean, you know, I think like we've talked about, like we, we both believe that in transformation and people can change and people can learn how to be empathetic. Right. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Um, like you're saying, there are a lot of different perspectives around like, should we even have cops? Uh, is it time to just like defund all of that? Uh, that's a conversation that, you know, we can probably maybe have another day cause that's like, there's so much to it. Um, yeah. And we all, and there's so many different beliefs about that. Um, Mm-hmm. I tend to think, and I, I feel this way about teachers too. Like I always say, like, I, I don't think a lot of people go into their jobs with the intention of harming or hurting mm-hmm. people. I just really don't. I want to believe that about people, that that's not the motivation. Um, yeah. but I think a lot of time when you're in a system that, that promotes that kind of act and culture, it can be really hard to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good. Okay. Anything else you want to say about that piece? Um, yeah, I was hearing um, when I had an encounter with somebody who was older than me, um, he was trying to tell me that there's, um, I don't, don't want to like word it wrong, but what he was saying was that black people are uh, more incarcerated basically. And trying to say that, you know, that, oh, well, they are more incarcerated. So it's kind of, you know, this whole, they are the threat. Right. But what I want to bring to light is that black people in America, they only make up about 12 to 13 percent of the population. 
yet 24% of people who are incarcerated are Black people. And mathematically, that doesn't line up, Mm -hmm. number one. And number two, there are a lot of statistics that I was researching. And there is um, the main one that kept coming up is that Black people are 2.5 times likely to die in police custody, number one. And also the fact that um, the fact that they over police a lot of black communities or poor neighborhoods, they over police so they can get arrested for petty crimes, too. And also they can get tried for things when they're innocent. Like there's even another <laughs> another statistic I was looking at was this um, lawyer from um, I think it was Michigan. She was a lawyer from I went to in Michigan. She was a lawyer over there. and. Um, she was like editing a report with somebody and it said um, it's close to 50% of people who are like people who are tried for things like murder are innocent. Mm -hmm. And I think the justice system is really just kind of, you know, it's not really to help. I I feel like the justice system is kind of more like against blacks too. And there also is that piece of uh, cause I like to watch a lot of true crime cases and a lot of times they talk about how when like someone has just done something like the unthinkable, like murder or something like that, when they're white, they're not held for a waiting trial. But when there was a black people, they were like held for like a year and then they came out to be innocent. Yeah. And I think that also like is a big thing. Cause sometimes they can be awaiting trial for years, yeah. you know, and they could be innocent. And I think a big misconception is people try to say, well, black people get arrested all the time and they're incarcerated more and all that. But it's just, you know, the over-policing and the fact that it just kind of like they use the skin color as, well, okay, well, since there's more of you guys in jail, you guys are automatically guilty or there's a good chance that you did it. Okay. So I just think that that's also a big misconception is people just try to say, try to use the more incarcerated when you, you like kind of look at this um the numbers how only make up at least 13 percent or i'm like maximum 13 percent of the population in america it just doesn't match up so yeah. nice okay you came prepared i love <laughs> i love the research good um so yeah i mean these are things what i love about having this conversation too is that now you're also showing us like this is how you do the work right so like you show up and you have like your experiences and you share those and you also have uh, you have your research and like you back it up and you know what you're talking about. And and not only do you need to do that, I need to do that. And every like white person who has decided that they're like ready to enter into this dialogue uh, and mm-hmm. fight in this way needs to know this. Right. Like we have to yeah. have this kind of information because that's so real and it's not to discredit anybody's lived experience it's to add to it right so you mm-hmm. you put those two things together that like this is the lived experience of being black in america and here are the numbers right so um i, I so appreciate you doing that um and you just you mentioned earlier uh, like your your goal career goal you want to mention mm-hmm. that now too it seems like it's fitting right now yeah, I want to be, I've always wanted to be a social worker, you know, for kids, but, you know, I'm getting older. I'm leaning way more towards a civil rights lawyer. Yeah. And I I don't know, I just, I feel really passionately about um, make sure people get justice and also to make sure that we don't put the wrong people away, yeah. the wrong people get, um, you know, the punishment that they don't deserve. So, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, clearly, whatever you decide to do, you're you're gonna you're gonna change some things. You're gonna change like big parts of the world. We know that. So, um, yeah. I the thing I wanted to comment also um, on the the research that you brought up is that like we see these images, right? Like we see the difference in the images um, of like like even what we're seeing now is like we we see black bodies represented in ways that are really violent in the, yeah. the media and on the news and in like these interactions with cops. Right. And then mm-hmm. we see actually really violent white men who do things like, like mass murder. And like, I think about like Ted Bundy and those like, mm-hmm. the, have you watched any of this? Like yeah. all of the, like the, his trial tapes where like people are talking about him as though like, he's like some kind of like hot guy and he's like, yeah. Right. And he's handsome and he's smart and he's articulate and all of these things. And, and like, he's a a brutal, vicious mass murderer. Right. So, um, that contrast, or you see like, uh, like, like another white guy who's like shot up a bunch of people in like some sort of mass shooting. Right. And he's Mm -hmm. escorted out of, of that situation alive and like, taken out to get lunch, um, before yeah. he goes to jail. Right. Like th- that contrast really means something. So yeah. right, like, that's where that, like anytime we're talking about this and, and people say like all lives matter, right. Like that's, that's another point to say, like, do they, because here's what I see, Yeah, you know? And there's also, um, like there's, I don't know. It was a true crime case. I was watching again and this dad, he accidentally shot his daughter because he thought that she was an intruder because she tried to scare him and he accidentally shot her. But then when he realized what he did, he um, called the ambulance. They rushed her there to try to make sure that, you know, she stayed alive, but she did lose her life. But in trial, like it was a humongous accident. Like, you know, they explain even the security camera, like they um, caught everything that happened. And he was just saying, that, you know, she, like, snuck in and tried to scare him, and he had his, um, it was just kind of, like, wrong place, wrong time. Right, right. And, but in trial, they tried to, um, bring up his past and try to say, oh, well, he used to do drugs, he used to do this, this, and this, but that has no relevance to what happened. Right. And I think with a lot of cases, even with the Ahmaud Arbery case, they try to bring up his family's past and things like that and and but yet when there's a white person who's like you like you said like shot up a school or something like that they try to be like oh he's a loving man in a fit with the family and this and this right but in that case with the dad they didn't say um talk about his other two kids that he had and um talk about all this other stuff that he did and things like that um and they do that a lot with the um black people they just kind of try to bring up their family's past or bring up their past and try to say, well, they used to do drugs. I used to do this and they used to do that, but they don't do that with the white people. Yeah. It's like a justification again, that like really defensive justification Mm -hmm. of like why this is okay to do. And, and to me, the only, the only real answer to that is that like, it's, it's racist. So like it's, it's grounded in racism that people either understand that they're participating in or they don't. Um, but what we're saying now, right. Is, and what we're seeing now is like, we don't care if you understand or not anymore. It's time Mm -hmm. to change it. We're not doing this anymore. Um, yeah, good. Those representations are so important, um, in terms of media and then also how they impact policies and 
procedures and the mm-hmm. law and all of that. So that's that's like a whole process that you're describing. Yeah. Ugh, so good. What's your favorite true crime? Like, do, where do you watch it? I watch it on, I just watch it on YouTube because I have like, sometimes there are little parts or I have a whole episode. I just like to watch that because I'm, I'm into that stuff. Like yeah. in almost into like criminal minds and law and order. And nice. All that stuff. So cool. Oh, I like it. Um, and then you do your research. Yeah. Um, cool. Is there anything else you wanted to say about, uh, about that piece? Um, well, I mean, I feel like, I feel like it doesn't need to be said because I already know. And I think a lot of other people know, but also a lot of people are trying to say how the protesters and writers are the same when they're not. I think people, I think it's also a lot of people talk about it, but a lot of people are like, no, they're the same, but they're two different groups. You know, there are people who are invading the protest to go loot the stores and riot. And sometimes they're even done by the police. Um, people have seen the people who are actually at the protest um, will try to talk about how the police, some of the police are starting the fires yeah. and stuff like that. And there's even been pictures of like these pile of bricks that they have laid out for the protest, like these pile of bricks to go throw them at the windows. And the media does twist kind of like the news media, they kind of do twist it to try to try to make it look like the protesters are just going crazy. There's even a news, um, a news reporter. He was talking, he said like peaceful protest was talking about that. And then they cut his mic. They try to say that, Oh, we lost you, but they actually cut his mic. Right. And You know, I just think that the media is just trying to twist it and trying to make it, Thing, like make it integrate the protest and try to take value um, just away make it yeah 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 so, that's like, such that's an important thing yeah and that's yeah. such an important thing to be talking about too is that none of this is so like it's either this or this right like mm-hmm. there's it's it's so complicated and complex because it has to be it, anytime yeah. something is this important it has to be complex and people need to be able to think through that complexity. And I think that's a place where people get lost too, is that they're so used to it. It's either right or wrong. Yeah. And what we're seeing now, like I think the protests are a really good example. There's a lot of stuff that is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And I think the protests are right. Like there's a whole yeah. lot of in between. It doesn't mean that it's not powerful. It, mm-hmm. it means that like, it's not as simple as either this or this. And and I think that's I, what I do think is that your generation, um, uh, and this is, you know, it's part of what we, I hate when people say that, whatever, but it mm-hmm. is like, this is what we're doing here is like hearing yeah. your voice. Right. So I think that your, your generation is much better at understanding complexity mm-hmm. and not needing things to be like either this or this, or this is right. And this is wrong. Um, yeah. do you think that, do you get that sense? Yeah, I think that our generation, I think I'm pretty sure my generation is pretty open-minded, at least from people I've talked to. And I do know there's people who are um, either or about the protests. You know, they're more like um, they can see both sides Mm -hmm. and they're not. And there are some people who in my generation that would be like, oh, the protests are wrong and all that. There are people like that. But I'm pretty sure, um, not pretty sure, I know that my generation, at least my friends or some of the quote unquote famous people yeah. that are like my age, they are very um, you know, they want to protest and stuff like that, but at the same time they're not gonna condone the violence and right. all that stuff right. too. Because I don't condone the violence either. I don't I don't think that violence is gonna really get us anywhere. 
But I do understand why some people do resort to violence because their voices aren't heard. They get frustrated and sometimes violence is used against them so they'll retaliate. Like, I understand that. And I just think that uh, my generation is going to make a change because we already are making a change. There's people that are younger than 30 who are doing the protest and people at my age are trying to organize it or even just go and make petitions, sign petitions, donate. Um, I think that my generation is already making a change and I'm just really excited for when we Pause for one second. Your your sound cut out for just a second. Oh, are you still there? Okay, wait, I think I can hear you again. There you are. Okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, I think the last thing we heard was that uh, you said you're really excited for your generation mm-hmm. to... Go ahead. I'm excited for, gener- for my generation to make change and to um, change how the world is because we're already making a change. So I'm just really excited. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, Actually, my, uh, so we do, we have these talks all the time at home and we're talking through all of this with our two daughters. Um, We went to the the Black Lives Matter protest um, uh, in our city and we had the girls, I have a a nine-year-old and a four-year-old and we had them, we didn't bring them with us to this one, but we had them make our signs for us. um, So they were involved a little bit. And when we were talking about the protests and they were watching it on the news, my four-year-old wanted to know, like, what, why are they, like, lighting things on fire? Why does it look like that? And so we were t- describing that, exactly what you said, that, like, people's frustrations over not being heard have, have really pushed them to this point. And, yeah. yeah, and she said, oh, that sounds like a tantrum. <laughs> and we were like, well, yeah, it is. And, she, and we were like, what, what, when you're having a tantrum, a rare occasion you do, why is it? And she was like, it's because you're not listening to me. And we yeah. were like, there you go. That's exactly right. That's exactly what's happening here. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, I think your examples and the way you're talking about this for kids and your generation is just exactly right. And exactly why, like having your voice here is so important. Um, I wanted to ask you if you have any, um, any ideas for like spaces where this kind of like youth, oh wait, I think that's, oh yeah, that's your next question. We led right into it. Um, so any spaces where like this kind of youth activism is really happening, where do you see that happening the most? Well, um, I see a lot of the youth activism on social media, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. there are people who they send me links to petitions and to donate. And um, I don't really have a lot of money to donate, but I definitely do sign the petitions and I will share it and try to do as much as I can. And um, when I'm able, I want to be able to donate, but I don't really have a lot of mo- money of my own right now. Right. But I know uh, when I do have my money, I will do- definitely donate. And also, um, I was talking to my mom about this too, and she thinks that something that could really help um, the youth uh, is getting registered registered to vote as soon as yes. possible after they turn 18. Because um, it's not only voting for the president, you know, it's local elections, you know, you can vote for a mayor. Um, can also vote for the police and crime commissioner, you know, and that can make a huge change as well. And I just think that even though we're young, we still have a voice that needs to be heard and we'll be, you know, after we're 18, we can vote. And I think that, you know, 
your vote, your vote can count, you know, your vote, <laughs> your vote does count. Even though a lot of people say like your voices, I know someone told me like, oh, your voice isn't heard. You're only 16 and your vote doesn't even count because someone can overrule it, stuff like that. Yeah. Even if that's the case, you know, being able to just put your voice out there, people will hear you. I mean, sometimes they could shut you down, but people can and will hear you. And I think also just getting a new, like getting someone who you respect as a leader too can also make a huge change. Cause I know a lot of um, people who are my age, they do not like the president at all. Yeah. I don't like the president. Yeah. This I is a safe people, space to say that. Yes. <laughs> that you that know, is not uh, our president. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, I told my mom, my president is president Obama. That's who I still For, forever, president. forever president yeah. until I'm ready yeah. to, for the next one, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> I just think that, you know, if you're able to, you know, vote and stuff that getting registered to vote as soon as you can, you can do that can make a chain donating some petitions, even being educated can go a long way too. just being educated on things can go. It can take you really far. Um, and even if you go to a protest, um, being able to know how to help people if they get maced or something or yeah. their arm gets broken or something like that, being able to, um, aid them is that yeah. Honestly, like, yeah. um, I think that also can help a lot too, because, you know, you can there, you can help people, um, being able to know how to make a, the right solution to flesh out someone's eyes or to, um, their support on their skin, you know, whatever. You know, even if it's just milk or the actual tear gas yeah. solution people are making, I think that can be, um, that can help a lot too. Yeah. And, you know, youth can do that too. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. And even if you don't feel like it's something that will help, it will help. You just you probably don't see it right away. And that's okay to not see change exactly when you do something. But I just think that, you know, our voices are getting heard. and. Um, I think that the youth have play a big role in that too. And then, it, you know, some people feel this way and they're my age. I just can only imagine how it's going to be when we're older and we can actually, you know, go out and get jobs to help make more um, a bigger change or, you know, even having someone who feels, who feel, has the same ideas as me, be president, things like that. I think that can make a huge change as well. Yeah. It's uh, it's all hands on deck and you're exactly what you're describing. There is so much momentum from youth right now. And I just think that's the thing. Like, that's the thing that's going to bring us through this and maybe even like save us, to be honest. It sounds dramatic, but I mean it. Like, I just think not to put too much pressure on you, but um, (laughs) but it's important. And I think exactly what you're saying now, like you you learn now, right? And, and as young as you can, like, I want, like anybody who listens to this, I want them to know, like, you're not too young, exactly what you're saying. Like, there are things that you can do and your voice can, can be heard and what you have to say and what you feel is important. Um, yeah. it's why we have this space. Right. So, um, and I love your practical like ideas too, that like there are real practical things that you can go out and do to contribute right now. Um, yeah. And then there's also big learning and that's what you're describing too. There's big learning that can happen that you can start right now so that you're prepared as you keep moving through all of these systems to fight and to change. Um, yeah, I love that. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay. Then, um, what was I going to say? Oh, well, we'll, we'll edit that out. Um, 
Okay. Let's see. Um, is there anything? Okay. So your last, your last piece was about, um, I, I think specifically probably how white people can help. Um, yeah. so is there something specific that you want to say to us? Well, I think, like I, like I said earlier, being educated, mm-hmm. I think that can help a lot. It could take you far too, knowing what you're talking about and, um, you know, working together to stand up against police brutality because there are, there are some white people who will say like, oh, but white people are getting killed by police too, things like that. And I just think, you know, if they, if they're so angry about that, they can protest with us because it's not, I think that they can protest with us and they can use that passion and that drive that they have to stand up against police brutality and to show that um that we're defending our um right to live and i think that um a lot of times when people try to make it seem like everyone else is doing that you know taking that passion that you have and protesting with other people and signing the petitions and things like that i mean even though they're not necessarily the same side as me they're still like we all want one goal is to just end police brutality and I just think, you know, um, using that drive and passion would help too. And also stop turning a blind eye to things, even, even like, like little racist things here and there, like telling someone like, Hey dude, that's not cool. Or maybe you shouldn't be saying that things like that, you know, that can make a change too, because I think, I think, um, a lot of times I know people who are like my age, if someone says a racist remark to them, they get like really offended because, you know, it's racist and especially with everything that's going on. So I think like, um, not necessarily like trying to call someone out mm-hmm. like that, but correcting them. Yeah. I think that can make a big change. And, um, half of my family is white. My mom's mixed and I, my grandma's side, they're all white. Yeah. And a lot of them are using their platforms that they have to educate people to speak out and, um, to talk about, um, saying like, I'm white, I have this privilege and they're using that to educate people and to speak out on things, which I think, I think is like really honorable. I love seeing my grandma and my great aunt post things like that too. And I think, and it's kind of, it's just nice to see that they're using, they're using their platforms and stuff to educate people. Um, even, you know, going to protest or donating that helps a lot too. And I think I think when people do that, it kind of makes us feel like we're getting heard finally too, yep. which helps a lot, you know, cause people, the reason people are protesting is just cause we're not being heard. And I think doing that, people are feeling a lot more heard and they feel like their opinions have values and stuff, which helps a lot too. And, you know, just supporting, also supporting like black owned businesses too. Like um, my mom, she even said that, uh, cause we go to the beauty supply store yeah. and there's one that's like an hour away in see, Kent yeah. or something like that or Renton. I don't know. It's Renton. It's Renton. Okay. And it's a black owned business. And instead of going to the one that's down the street, that's, um, not owned by black people, we'll go over there to support them. And, um, just supporting like black owned businesses, no matter yeah. how small they are, that helps a lot too. So. Yeah. And taking, like you're saying, like going out of your way to do it. So, like some of this uh, for like people of a, a lot of privilege, particularly white people, some of this means that you have to give up some of your comfort and you have to give up some of your power and you have to find the ways to do that. And, yeah. and it might, it's going to get uncomfortable sometimes. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that it's worth it. That's what we have to do. And we're hearing that from you and from 
um, everybody else that, that we know, like we're here to stand in solidarity with, right. And to protect and support in every way we can. That's our job right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to see all the unity and <clears throat> excuse me, even, um, how there's other groups like the Amish or even, the, um, even people who have different religions, like I saw videos of like people who are atheists or Satanists, they were coming out, they're protesting. Yeah. I thought it was like so cool to see that people um, in Africa protesting, like it's all over the world and all these groups are coming out. I just think it's like really cool to see everyone coming together because it's like everyone knows that it's wrong and it's not like, you know, having people when they say that they're white allies, like that is really cool too in general. And then to see it goes farther than that, and it's not only in America, it's in other countries and stuff, and other or other states and other um, parts of the world. I think it's like it's just really cool to see that, and how it's not like it's just colored against white. It's just the people versus the government, which is also um, like someone was talking about how you know when you were younger you would see Hunger Games or Divergent how it was teenagers against their government and how you're always like oh i wish i was katniss or i wish i was tris and stuff like that and i was like okay well now you are so what (laughs) are you going to do to change that yeah i think that's just so cool that we're all coming together to fight against our one common threat and um i just think that's so cool and then how my generation a lot like a lot a lot of our gender my generation is just going out and trying to fight against this and i just think it's really cool to see that white, black, or Hispanic, I, you know, all races and ethnicities. I just think it's really cool. Yeah. I'm so glad that, that you're feeling that and you're seeing that. And I hope that you do really know how, uh, important and loved and valued and supported you are. Um, and I, you know, like, and like you're saying, like you can feel it like on a global level and you deserve that. And that's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're here to, share your experience with us and, uh, be so open about it. And, you know, you just, you have so many powerful things to say. We need your voice. Um, Yeah. I think also too, if you have younger siblings or kids too, to raise them in that mindset of, you know, you shouldn't like skin color is not a threat. It's not something that you need to look at first when you see somebody Even my little sisters, they're, um, three and six. And yesterday night, my sister came up to me and was on my phone and she started yelling, no justice, no peace. My six-year-old <laughs> sister and then my three-year-old sister, she doesn't really know what that means, but she was trying to say it. It didn't yeah. come out right, but she was trying to say it. Right. And we're trying to educate my six-year-old sister and telling her what's going on. And she's scared sometimes too. She gets scared. She gets scared for our dad. Mm-hmm. She gets scared for her, scared for me and stuff. And we're not trying to raise her in fear. We're not trying to let her think that you have to be scared all the time. We just want to have her be educated Good. and we're trying to do that with her and for my younger sister, who's three, we're just trying to um, let them see that you shouldn't have to be scared, but you should be educated and things like that. And I think that a lot of people should try to do that with their siblings or with their kids, you know, however old they are. Um, as even that, you know, even when they're starting to understand kind of things like how it's like three, four or five, whatever, I think, um, telling them and teaching them, um, you know, skin color is not a barrier. That shouldn't be a barrier. Things like that. I think that will also help their generation too, because everyone's growing up so fast now. So I think their generation is coming up quick too. And I just think that 
you know, if we all kind of just show the show what's going on as, you know, even when they're three, I think that also it will help them later in life. It'll show them the perspective. It will just kind of give them an opportunity to, you know, just give them a better opportunity to understand things. So then when they're older and they have to kind of go out in the world by themselves, they're not blindsided. Yeah. Good. I think that helps too. Yeah. They're prepared and they're educated and they're empowered. Right. And, yeah. and you're talking about like the image of your six-year-old sister and then your three-year-old sister, like, re- like engaging in that, like protest language, no justice, yeah. no peace. Like that's empowering. And that's yeah. like, that's the model. Like you're the model for them. Um, and you're going to be the model for a lot of people. And so this is like exactly what we need to be talking about and thinking about and, and working through. Um, okay. Was there something else on your list we didn't get to? Um, no, I think I covered everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing I want to do, I mean, I have a lot of things that, that we're going to do, but, um, I would like to have you come back if you're willing to, we did like, uh, we did a lot today. Um, I'd like to have you come back at another point and, um, we'll do a full episode around black girl magic. Um, okay. Okay. Because the thing is like the stuff we talked about today is so important, obviously, and it's so timely, but like you started out this episode saying, um, you're more than just like your race, right? Like you're more than like your experience of fighting against racial injustice. And mm-hmm. there's so much more to who you are and how you experience joy and all of those things. So I want that space for you um, and for other girls to to be able to talk about that because um, mm-hmm. it's just as important, right? So, um, so I want to do a whole episode on that um, and have you and a couple of other girls maybe in conversation together. Okay. Would that be cool? Yeah. Okay. Um, and now you're, I'm going to be so annoying to you. I'm just going to keep like, <laughs> like calling you up and being like, Hey, uh, what are you doing? You want to do this thing now? <laughs> so you can, you can tell me to chill. It'll be okay. Just be like, Mary, I need some space. I mean, no, it's fine. Cause also <laughs> give me something to do. Cause mm-hmm. I'm going to be done with school soon, like by tomorrow. So <laughs> you're like just kind of real is. soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll have summer projects to do. I think that'll be cool. Yeah. And then just also give my mom, um, peace of mind, which, cause she's always like, you never do anything over the summer. Oh, so. perfect. All right. I will plan your summer for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna fill it all up. Um, no, thank you so much for being here and for talking with us and sharing your voice. Um, any, any final thoughts? Um, I mean, you know, just staying educated will take you a long way. And, um, I think people just need to learn to be open-minded and to have empathy and put themselves in people's shoes to really understand what's going on and to be educated before speaking out against things or speaking for things, because you don't want to try to talk about something and you sound uneducated, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's kind of like, you know, really know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's enough of that. We have enough of those kinds of voices. We don't need those. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We're going to have you back soon. Yeah. So I'm going to stop the recording, but we don't have to say goodbye yet. Okay. (laughs) Letting the important experiences, understandings, and insights of Amari stand today, we're just going to close here. The conversation doesn't stop here, though. 
Uh, our next episode will be out in just a couple of days as we continue this work together, led by the voices and dedication of you. Thanks for being here.